right, guys. I'm here with Jonah Mitchell, legendary trainer, former athlete. How you doing, Jonah? I'm great, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you gave me the, the title of legendary because yeah. um, that's that's the only way I described you when we were in college. Legendary Ty Henry. <laughs> I don't use a lot. I don't. I think you just you're. Uh, what do you call it when you're blowing someone's ego for no reason? All right, well, let's talk about you. Yeah, because you're. I don't need any compliments from you. Uh, let's go with. Uh, I want to know your sporting history, though. I want day dot Jonah. What got you an athlete? What was the sports? Kind of what got, what led it all? So, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, what really started sports for me back in the day was a. Uh, uh, I mean, actually, football was the last sport that I was put into as a kid. It was it started with karate, then it went to soccer, then it was baseball, and then it was football when I was like seven or eight years old. And uh, I was horrified. Just from the from my core, I was scared. You know what I mean? Um, but I was also a short, kind of chunky kid, not very athletic. So when I showed up, they're like, all right, here, you're, a, you're a double patch player. And for people who don't know what that means – uh, I weighed too much to carry the ball, so I had to be uh, on the offensive line. Um, shaking in my boots uh, up until the first, my very first game of when I was like seven or eight, and I uh, like my mom and my grandmother are like, "Good luck!" Like behind me, like go have fun, and I'm like, I like give them a thumbs up, and I slowly turn around and start like seeing, letting the fear of what's about to happen come over my face. But I got out there. And being an offensive lineman, I'd never hit anybody before. So I was kind of like, oh, I kind of like this. It's like, I didn't know at the time, but it was like really stress relieving for me to have that kind of like exertion of energy, you know? So that's where it started. And that's where my love started to grow for it uh, was when I was seven or eight. And I carried that all the way through college. But in high school, I was a three-sport athlete, uh, little league. Again, I didn't lose, end up losing the, the baby weight until I was in like eighth grade. <laughs> and uh, then I was actually allowed to do some more athletic things. I stopped being an offensive lineman and I switched to defensive end and tight end. Um, and I played outfield and baseball and I rode the bench in basketball because I mean, there's not enough fouls allowed in base basketball. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it got all started. I just basically when I was seven or eight, found the love for it and carried it as far as I could. So once you're getting into high school there, so you all pl played all three sports in high school, baseball, football, and basketball? Yes. Clearly the, the enforcer in basketball. So when did you kind of start to feel like you came into your own as a football player or physically? I think it was right around my – no, yeah, I know for sure it was my junior year of high school where I – actually, that was probably my – the best season I had and also the best team I'd ever been on. It was uh, just a full representation of what it meant to kind of just everyone does their job at the best of their ability. I was in a position where I was put in to su succeed more often than not, uh, outside edge rusher only, never an inside technique. So that was super fun. But I was also around a guy, uh, Zach Goldich, who uh, was also a very big inspiration to me. He was 6'6", uh, like 280 pounds of just pure athleticism, ended up going to CSU uh, and played in the NFL for a little while. And then... Uh, a lot of other really awesome athletes on that team that really just kind of helped me find my position as a defensive end and like help me feel like I'm the shit for once. You know what I mean? I was always kind of second guessing myself and I've always kind of struggled with that. Uh, but really my junior year of high school where I like hit the ground running, I had the most sacks that's my, the most sacks ever eight sacks in nine, in nine games. Um, Should have had 10, but I was spun out of them. Uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, junior year of high school, I was just like, this is actually something I, I really want to do. I've always had like the inkling, like, oh yeah, I want to do this professionally, but junior year is like, this is something I want to do for as long as I possibly can. how did you feel like the, so you were at Gateway, correct? How was the, the football program kind of when you were that era at Gateway football and how were you guys coming together? Well, you know, Travis Haney and, uh, his whole class. Uh, that that when his class left and the class after him, um, and I was two years two years younger than Travis, um, really like our coach Justin Hoffman instilled a culture in us, and I had that from my freshman to the end of my junior year, which was like simple and effective, and we're success, successful at that. Like we ran the beer offense, <laughs> the beer option. 
So three and a half yards every play, every play, every play. We we never scored more than oh that's a lie. We, there were certain games where we had like eighty plus points. Um, but yeah, that 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 kind of culture that Justin Hoffman created was super awesome to be a part of. And then at the end of my junior year, uh, he left, and honestly, a part of me left with him because he took all the coaching staff as well. And so we had this new guy come in and had to kind of like rebuild. And there was 12, uh, 13 seniors. And we were the only ones who could really play. We all played both ways. So it was like basically restructuring what Justin Hoffman had created, such a like a, a simple, effective, and dominating um, culture to go and switch that up to like, all right, now we're a spread offense that we don't really know what we're doing, but we're going to be, we're just going to be the more athletic team. Um, so it was really weird. Like I loved my freshman and junior year. I loved my, my senior year. I, I had a good time. Like we still won seven, eight games. Uh, but the culture was gone when Justin Hoffman left and it was always weird. And that's what I've always kind of been like missing when it came to a football team, you know, like the, having that culture of success. I mean, you know, Western, we were, Western is the most winningest, um, team in the RMAC. But the past two decades, that culture hasn't been there, you know. So it's it's definitely – did I answer your question? I ramble a little bit. <laughs> no, I think, I think you definitely answered my question. So uh, that se- how was that senior season then for you individually? You said you had the sack total the junior year. Senior year, how, how was it there? Uh, so senior year, I was put into a lot more different positions than I was used to. I was only playing defensive end my freshman and junior year. Um, and then they're like, all right, no, you got to play tight end both ways. You got to play wide receiver. You got to play linebacker. You got to play uh, uh, like the, the hybrid safety linebacker thing. I can't remember what they call it. Um, so I was I was moved out of a, spa- of, a, of a spot where I was super comfortable and knew exactly what I needed to get done to a bunch of new things that I was like, holy crap, how do I do any of this? Um but I am pretty grateful for that as well because that was one of the first times I was really, really forced out of my comfort zone and playing a, a wide receiver. Uh, it was it was really fun. And if we're being if we're being honest, I probably should have played wide receiver in college, uh, being too skinny. <laughs> but after losing that like structure of my freshman the junior coach and senior year I, I wasn't able to just focus on my sack totals I was I was like trying to I, I think I had three or four sacks my senior year I had like four touchdowns as a wide receiver and a tight end um, so I was I was I was forced to be more adaptive which honestly was a very good lesson for me a, a life lesson you can't always hope hope that it's going to stay the way you want it to and when it does change you still got to make the best out of it um, and I, I only now realize that when did I graduate high school? 2014. So six, seven years after yeah. I, I left school. So it was uh, uh, definitely a good little lesson to learn and good to reflect on now, um, especially when I got to Western and I was still in a spot where I was like not feeling like I could succeed a lot of time. So take me through the, uh, the getting recruited picking a school, deciding you do want to play football, football's a sport, all that process. Junior year, I knew I was going to go play college football after that season. I was like, this, there's no way in hell I'm not going to do it. So um, I had a really awesome D-line coach who, after he left, we actually ended up playing um, the, the school that they went to called Smoky Hill. So I went to Gateway. My, my first game of my senior year was – against Smoky Hill, which my, my old coach was coaching at. And uh, that game, I was I was exhausted. I had like three tackles for the loss, a touchdown, and, uh, uh, um, and, and one sack. Yeah, one sack. But my D-line coach came up to me after that game. He's like, I, I know. He looked me in the eye and said, you're going to go somewhere after this season. So, like, that little reminder, like, like helped me kind of remind myself that I, I need to keep going with this. So, the school um some d ones like cu boulder and csu uh i'll be looked at from uh north
So take me through the, your recruiting process kind of after you'd had that meeting with your coach following the Smoky Hill game. Uh, so I had been hearing from schools uh, from time to time uh, about like interest in, in me, like North Dakota State, or I'm sorry, South Dakota State, um, some from C CSU, CU Boulder, but no real like offers of like, hey, if we were like, they, they a lot of the schools, the bigger schools that were recruiting me had me in their middle tier. Like we want him if he had this one thing. And a lot of times it was my size. So I was a 185 pound defensive end. Um, and the most of them want me to be at least 215 before I even got there. So uh, it was always just kind of like emails back and forth, never really any visits uh, until after my senior season, then uh, D2 schools started walking into my school and actually started meeting coaches. Um, but uh, when I met the CSU Pueblo coach, um, he was like, we're going to offer you, like, don't, don't make any other plans. Like you are going to come to CSU Pueblo. And I was like, cool. So I, and then in my head, like, as I'm going through recruiting, uh, the re recruiting process with my other friends who are getting recruited, uh, every school that came, I was like, I'm already going to CSU Pueblo, which for context, CSU Pueblo was at the time, one of the best D2 schools, actually the best D2 school in, um, in the United States. Um, so I was like, I'm going, I'm going to CSU Pueblo. Like, don't, I don't want to talk to this school. Like West, I didn't want to talk to what uh, coach led from Western. I didn't want to talk to the guy from Mesa. I didn't want to talk to the guy from Alamosa and especially didn't want to talk to the guy from uh, New Mexico Highlands. So uh, I was, I was like, and all those are teams that Ty and I used to play for contacts again. Um, anyway. Uh, so in my head, I'm like, I'm going, I'm going to CSU Pueblo, going to CSU Pueblo. And then, the night before, I'm supposed to go up for my official visit where they're going to offer me uh, a spot. I get a call from my recruiting coach, and he says, hey, um, there's no more money. We can't offer you a scholarship, but we would love for you to be a preferred walk-up, which essentially I pay full tuition to hopefully get a spot on the football team. And I was like, holy crap, I can't do that. <laughs> my grades are not that good to go on an academic scholarship. So I called my my new head coach from my senior season and I said, I told him what was going on. He's like, you're not going to Pueblo. Like, don't talk to that guy ever again. I'm going to make a couple phone calls. So he made a couple phone calls to the other RMAC teams and um, Western and the linebackers coach from Western, Coach Led, called him back the next morning saying, if, if he can get up here in the next two days, uh, we'll offer him on the spot. So I went from knowing exactly who I was going to play for to wondering, holy crap, I may not play playing football now that I basically told all these colleges I'm going to CSU Pueblo. And then my my coach at my uh, my coach my senior season said, no no no, I got you. And then he got a hold of Western, and uh, they're like, yeah, you want to play here? And they were the only school that actually wanted me to play defense, and that's what I wanted to play. So I was like, yep, sign me up. Where where do I put put, put my name on the dotted line? And uh, that's kind of how that ended up happening. It was a uh, Kind of, uh, same age as Fook, right? Same year? Yes, same year. Same year. So I I, I, uh, I got recruited before – I signed with Lester before Fuqua, uh visited. And then that, right after he visited, he signed on too. Okay, so you guys didn't have a little brotherhood pact in high school to say let's stay together forever. No, it was not that way. <laughs> Actually, we weren't, we weren't that close in high school. Uh, it was like senior year when we ended up both signing at Western. Like, hey, do you do you want to be my roommate? So we don't have to uh, have like total strangers. And then that's how we kind of grew and became best friends throughout that process. Because it was a, yeah, it was a it was a lot of shit that we had to go through in college. <laughs> so how would you say uh, your transition to college football? What was your first impressions? First impressions of Western, the program, and just in general coming up that level. First impressions of Western, I mean, obviously it wasn't a winning school, right? When I met when I met with the coaches, they said we won two games last year. So it wasn't a lot like the the dazzle of the program that really got me there. It was really just uh, the opportunity that Western had allowed me. Like I said, they were the only school that wanted me to play defense, and that was the only way I was the I mean, I was gonna I would have played offense any other place, but I really wanted to play defense so that now that the school that I didn't know anything about was like, hey, here, here's your opportunity. I was like, cool. I love it. I don't care. Like, I want to help rebuild this program. I'd be way more uh, excited to be a part of a program that was losing 
and help it turn around you become a winning program oh my goodness ty are we losing what was that uh that transition into college football like and that major step up and into western specifically so then going into western i wanted to be a part of school and like be that would allow me to play this the position i wanted to play and uh not knowing anything about western uh but knowing that I, the coach, the head coach there, Coach Bates, he was talking about we want to rebuild to the winning school that we are. And I, that idea of being part of that, other than uh, excited me more than going to a school that was already just the head honcho. Um, so that was something that kept drawing me to Western. And and then as the as I started practicing with uh, the college athletes, it was definitely a speed increase. And I was uh, – it, it was crazy that I went from being the most athletic on the field to, uh, holy crap, I need to step up my game. <laughs> uh, and actually going against offensive linemen that were like standard 300 pounds, uh, a lot faster than I was what I was used to. So it was a it was a major adaptive moment for me to be like, OK, I can't I can't be the same athlete I was in high school anymore. I actually have to step up and kind of um, kind of show that I belong in this place. Uh, but I, I adapted pretty quick, I, I would say, especially uh, I, I did redshirt my first year, but that allowed me to go against the, the, the starting guys on scout team, which I always enjoyed, especially when I would beat the, the left tackle and, uh, and um, he would always get mad at me. Uh, like, oh, you know the plays. I was like, no, you just kind of suck, if I'm being totally honest. <laughs> But yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it was definitely, I could never go back to like a high school sport with the experience I got from, from college. It's just the speed, the attention, and just the, the, the pure effort is like, everyone's there for a reason. Whereas in high school, like you kind of are only there to have more numbers. You know what I mean? It's more intimidating to have a hundred guys on the field, but only 11 guys start than it is to have uh 30 guys kind of going through there and it's just it's just weird it's just a definite a huge environment a huge environment shift that i think i i really needed and i really enjoyed it it was super fun i got along with a lot of people just like you i, I didn't get along with a lot of people some some being coaches <laughs> but it was fun I, I i could never go back and be a high school coach because wow. of how interested were you in training prior to showing up to college? And then how did that start to morph once you got there? Like interested in my own training? Yeah, in physical training, in working out, getting faster, stronger, all that. Um, I had, I didn't have any like extra motivation for training. Um, all I knew in high school was get stronger, lift heavier and and be get on the record board right that that was the that was one of the biggest goals you know it was always like who can lift the heaviest and i was always a smaller guy so when i was trying to lift with other d linemen who were twice my size they uh they would always kind of outlift me so it was more like training and getting faster was all to me it was always like it was a it was a means to a means to get to the football field. I had to do it to be able to play in the games. So even though I was training six, seven days a week, it wasn't necessarily in the right headspace. And I, I only know that now because of everything I've had to learn since football ended for me, you know? Um, so, and I mean, most times when we were working out and we were training, I was in agony. Like my, I would, my knees were always in pain. I had this really bad hip flexor problem that always come up uh, when we're doing these crazy sprints. So really training was a chore for me in, in, in college because I really, it's not anybody else's fault other than my own, but I, I never could connect the dots of like how the training could translate to the sport. It was always like you lift to get bigger. And that was always my goal is I have to get bigger. Um, and I only now realize how friggin' important it is to train your body in a way that will enhance performance. And um, man, hindsight is twenty twenty. But if I were to go back right now, like freshman year, Jonah, it'd be a lot different. <laughs> uh, yes. 
I see you on that one. Because I effectively just yeah. broke myself throughout my college career. So that's kind of why when I see what you're doing, it makes me pretty passionate because I think we both figured some things out post that we would like to know during. So take me through kind of oh, your yeah. college career, your four seasons at Western, kind of the rise of the program, the fall of the program, the good, the bads. Take me through it. So, man, the good was definitely my – one of the goods was the redshirt year. Like I said, I was able to go against the ones, and I was able to, like, really gauge myself at, like, do I deserve a starting spot for the next four years after my redshirt year? Um, so that was always a lot of fun. And, you know, college football, you have a lot of stuff to worry about. But when you're a redshirt freshman, uh, you practice from Monday to Thursday and you get a three-day weekend. <laughs> so that was always super fun. Uh, and then my French, my uh, my redshirt freshman year, uh, I actually, this part I, I just remembered. So for those of you who don't know, me and Ty played the same position in college. And uh, the linebackers coach at the time, my redshirt freshman year, uh, we were going to play a D1AA school that was just a little bit bigger than us, not much better than us. Um, but for some reason, our linebackers coach, who asked Ty to stay at Western, said I was going to start over him. <laughs> so that was so shocking to me. You know, and I don't know if you remember that game at all, but I was – I was in a state, uh, I was I was a, a nervous wreck. I was like so focused. I was just frowning the whole time. Um, ended up giving up two touchdowns and getting stiff-armed and benched proper, properly. Um, <laughs> but my redshirt freshman year, uh, the, I had moved away from DN again, and I was primarily a linebacker, never really doing that successfully. Uh, so that was a very frustrating year for me because I was, I was definitely in my own head, like this is bullshit. I, I'm not doing what I want to do. Uh, I need to be a uh, I need to be a D lineman again, and I mean I was trying to, I was finding every excuse in the book to not make the best out of my situation. You know I was I was I was way more I was way more quick to uh, judge my coaches for not putting me in a position to succeed instead of taking it as a as a learning tool to say okay I need to get better at this I, I'm not good so I need to get there. Uh, so I did that for my redshirt freshman year and. Then my redshirt sophomore year as well, I believe. No, actually, the the win the spring uh, going into my redshirt sophomore year, uh, we had a new linebackers coach who was like, he came up to me after the spring game. He's like, do you want to move to D-line? And I was like, yes, please, for the love of God, move me to D-line. <laughs> so then from my sophomore to my senior year, I was back playing defensive end, and I was a starter for those three years. Um my sophomore year, I started the first six games uh, still in my head when the game when the game lights came on. So it wasn't very it wasn't very successful that year. Super frustrating. I was like, I know I'm better than this. No, I'm better than this. Uh, could never really pinpoint why I was struggling so hard. And uh, I think you have. We're gonna go over. Oh, like I told, like I started uh, the the conversation with. Like I, I I struggled a lot with my own mental health. So when I'm not good at something, it would just exacerbate the process of like breaking down my own self-confidence and my self-doubt would creep up and be really, really frustrated. So my sophomore year, I was so angry at myself all the time. I, I would never watch film because I wasn't performing the way I know I could have. Uh, and then similar, see, uh, my junior year, similar to my junior year of high school, my redshirt junior year of football at Western, that was uh, Austin Eckler's senior season. That's one of our uh, – that was our best season. We won seven games um, in, in the, for the first time in 20 years. So that was super fun. And I was starting that uh, that year full-time. There wasn't, um, there wasn't any, any seniors above me who, uh, who were better than me. Um, and it was a lot of fun to actually play in, in – the, in the, I, I was a defensive end four technique most of the time, but on the pass rushing downs, I was able to actually uh, get in a five and kind of go out and start getting, but that's where the, I started to get my groove again was my junior year where I was like, all right, I, I, I can still play football. Maybe I took me a little longer than I had wanted to kind of get the gears rolling, but my junior year was super fun. And then um, my senior year, oh, I made my setup. No, no. Yeah. Then my senior year, I was still a starter as well. That year it was a bit of a bit of a tough transition because uh, we had lost so many other uh, offensive seniors. But 
and then that was when we started falling as a team again. Just uh, so then we went from winning seven games to winning two games. And it was just so, so backwards. But it, go, it kind of goes back to like when you lose a big piece of your team, uh, like and that culture goes with it. It's kind of hard to uh, match that again. And it's a lot of like the seniors have to step up. But also when you don't really believe in yourself, how can you kind of step up and step up for your team? And that's only until now that I realize that's kind of like, if you're going to lead anyone, you have to lead yourself first. And it's been a, it's been a really long journey of trying to figure my, my shit out. <laughs> um, so after my senior year ended, we only won two games. Um, I was, I was really devastated. And I was, I was like, how the, what would I do now? Like football's over for me. Um, but I refused to accept it because it, football was such a really big part of my life that I had tricked myself into thinking that I had played well enough to even try for a, a pro day or a tryout for the Canadian Football League. Um, and that was that's another that's another journey. But that's really the oh, that's another story. And that's really the kind of breakdown of my my career at Western. Very mediocre, uh, very frustrating. But it was a. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything else, honestly. Okay, thank you. So you were probably the leader of that defense for about three years there, uh, especially those junior and senior year. And you were kind of programmed. It was in a better place when you got there than when you started. And you were, I believed, even when you were in that second year with us, if you, we had just put Stucky in a seven technique and let you run around the edge the whole game and not make you think, we would have been doing some stuff right. That would have made me feel so much better. <laughs> I, it would have. It would have made you feel better. It would have made us all feel better. Put down, <laughs> we'll play linebacker. Yeah, but uh, there is still, like, at, when you finish your career, you were a very successful player in the program. So there had to be some thoughts that you could go do something or continue to build towards something. Or, you know, you're 22-year-old, probably at your peak strength and size at the time. How big were you as a senior? And kind of, you know, what were you thinking that that, that side of things? So that's actually a really good question. I'm glad you brought that up because my senior year is actually when I started getting exposed to how important food was in, in the process. Like when, uh, like you asked me how important I thought training was, it, like, like it was a chore to me because it really wasn't that fun. It was always very painful. Um, but I probably played around 215 from my freshman year to my junior year. And then I actually kind of took all the advice from my coaches um, going into my senior year and that summer I put on 35 pounds. So I was weighing at 245, uh, for the first time ever. Like I was like, Holy crap. Like, this is what it feels like to be able to push someone just without like trying my hardest. <laughs> so, uh, played at 245 my senior year. Uh, and really, really, uh, I really tried to step up as, as the leader of the defense. Um, I could have done it a little bit better. Uh, but really, I was always the guy who's like, I'm going to do my job better than anyone else on the team. You know, I, I've never been the rah-rah, uh, rah-rah kind of guy. But uh, when, it, when it came to my job, I was always trying to uh, outperform people just by doing the best I possibly could. So that same mindset is like, no matter where I'm at, I'm going to try my, my best. That's what I use to kind of carry the, the idea of playing professionally, like, as long as I get a chance, I'm going to do my best, the best I possibly can. You know what I mean? So, like, the hope after I was like, I'm going to try and play professionally was that, like, I just need one chance. One chance to prove someone that I actually belong there. And I was willing to, to do anything to really do that. Um, so, even though I didn't have the 10, set, 10 plus sack season that I wanted that would really help my case to play professionally, I still like knew like there's always these success stories that like there's one guy hidden in the hidden in the hidden in the rough that will can make it big somehow. So when I uh, after my senior season ended, um, I, I got a hold. Well, actually, um, your your friend, my friend now uh, Taylor Sheridan, he offered to train me for my pro day, um, and. It was super interesting because I, that was the first time I'd been exposed to a personal trainer before. And uh, 
then I kind of was exposed to the different modalities of training and the different ways that working out of the weight room transitioned to uh, on-field performance. And I was just like, wait, what? Like, I thought you just showed up to the gym and they hand you a workout and you do it just to get bigger. When, they, when we started training speed work and agility work and all that stuff, I'm like, holy crap, this is a whole new world that I've, I'm not, I've never been aware of before. You know, like it was always like training in, in college or high school was just like practice to me. I didn't really care for it. But now that I can see the, the actual trans, transitions, I was like, holy crap, I love this. Uh, but if you don't mind, I can go into that story a little bit more, that training experience um, leading up to the pro day. So after I graduated from Western, that uh, December after my senior season, I moved down to Denver to train for my pro days. And this is, I was at around uh, three All-Americans from Mesa, Black Hills, and um, another school in Northern Dakota, uh, North Dakota. Um, and they were all just like wide receivers, QBs, and um, uh, running backs. I was the only uh, defensive lineman there. And I was actually around guys who'd been training like this forever. You know, all I've had was the experience of team practice or team team workouts. And um, I never was exposed to a, a side of like, you can fine tune your work off the field. You know, I, all, all in my head was like, no, like all Americans just do the best they can at practice. Like, no, it's, it's countless hours outside off the field that you really have to take, take into account for. And that's where I was like really exposed to like how, um, how limiting, how limited I was on the athletic side of things. Like these guys been doing this for years. And this is the first time I've ever been in a training space that I, I really just don't know anything about. So I was there for three months and I put on another 10 pounds. Well, I, I, I stayed around 245 um, and was trying, I was, I was the heaviest I've ever been. I was the strongest I've ever been. I was squatting over 500 pounds, deadlifting over 500 pounds. Uh, but sadly, the way I was moving and the function I, 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 I didn't have, uh, I, I ended up being the slowest I'd ever been at the same time. So it was, it was really rough to go like, oh, yeah, I, I can outlift all these dudes here. But then we go do pro agility and all the Eldro stuff and, and uh, the 40-yard dash training. And they're just smoking me left and right. And I'm just like, why? Why am I not? Why is this not connecting? It was another, ex, ex, uh, another experience that exposed me. And like, I really hamstring my football career, not really focusing on what I could be getting better at all the time. And this is what I really, um, really, this is why I really admire Austin Eckler now, uh, because I know the sacrifices that he put in all the time, you know, like he was a, a straight A student. He was a, a all American or I think he was all American. Um, but like you barely ever see him do anything stupid outside of football. Like it was always to get to the end goal. And even though I said I wanted to go professional, even though I said I wanted to be an All-American, I was never acting in line with that. I was never at pursuing uh, what the athletes I was around were pursuing constantly. So when I did that three months of training in Denver with them, I actually went up and did my pro day and, and my uh, Canadian Football League tryouts those were the worst I'd ever performed because I was already defeated. I was already like saying like, I'm not as fast as these guys. There's no point. And it took a week after I finished all those tryouts to get an actual video call saying like, Hey, like we're no longer pursuing you. So uh, thanks for trying out. And then that was like my second, like, Hey, football is actually over. So this is March of 2019 after I'd already uh, had my foot, my senior season end. And again, I get another no, like four months later, I'm just in this weird limbo, of like crap, like that's twice I, I, I haven't performed the way I should be. But all the stuff I learned in training uh, really kind of led me to the next, uh, to where I'm at currently as a personal trainer and, and nutrition coach. Perfect. So what, uh, what, what kind of are you trying to do now with that transition? into personal training and nutrition coach and what are you addressing with people? Really, uh, I, I primarily train current and former athletes uh, on what I lacked as an athlete, you know, 
Um, I, I, I like trying, I like, I'm actually currently in the development of like my, my framework uh, of how I really help people, but it really comes back down to the mindset and uh, uh, like the all American mindset, like really understanding that the little things truly matter where I only cared about 11 days out of every season. And that were, those were the game days. Everything else I could care less for. <laughs> like I didn't care about practice. I didn't care about weights. I didn't care about meetings. I sure as hell didn't care about film. But though that's like the ignorant side of me that was just like being selfish, like, oh no, you don't need to, you don't need to work that hard. You're doing just enough to, to get along. So I really want to try really with, with the nutrition coaching and personal training is really helping other athletes understand like we don't know as much as we think we do. And especially about ourselves. And if we can start really exposing those shortcomings, exposing those weaknesses. Uh, we can start working on them in a way that's going to amplify our performance in our sport, whether it's nutritionally, psychologically, uh, psych psychologically, uh, or just physiology. Like there's so many, there's so much work we have to do on and off, especially off the field that really will allow you to unlock your full potential. So I'm only able to realize my full potential now that my sport's gone. There's still plenty of people who are in a sport and plenty of people who are out of their sport that were like me with this kind of lost, limbo of like well what what else do i do uh that i'm trying to like recreate that team environment recreate those feelings of being a badass again and reminding you that we still have work to do even if we don't even if we don't have a sport anymore but if you are in a sport uh we can still amplify your performance not through just training but understanding your how your body works on a more uh, mechanical level or a nutritional level or a psychological level. Like there's so much that I have learned. I just want to spread to other athletes uh, to help them and amplify their life, their sport, or really whatever they want to want to get better at. So how do you, uh, so we, I've had this kind of with coronavirus for the first time in my life is having to deal with not having football. Um, but is there ever actually, with the people you're dealing with, a, a replacement for their sport, for being a high-level athlete in things that matter, games that matter, days of the week, those 11 days that do matter? You know what I mean? That's a, that's a good question. And I, I'm, I'm glad you, you're kind of challenging me like that. But, you know, that mindset, like, the 11 days that matter, the games that matter, like, those – those were what we thought was driving us in our sport. Like we wanted to perform under the lights, but really from my own experience, it was the, the constant challenge, the, the constant push to be better, the constant drive and passion um, think of competition that I was always around, you know? So not, you're not always going to be able to transition to that super important sport. But that doesn't mean you're not still an athlete. Like that competitive, that competitiveness and that, that wanting to feel like a badass is still there. We just need to kind of help convert that to find something that uh, – convert that into something um, more applicable to your life. So, for example, like I just had someone um, – I talked to someone who lost swimming – and she's in one of my programs right now. And she's, uh, she's just like, she's been struggling a lot. Like, I don't have a purpose to train anymore. Like, why, why should I do that? So I've been working with her to kind of help flip like that competitive drive you had, like you wanted to beat someone in a race all the time. Now you're the only person you have to beat. You know what I mean? Like, instead of looking at a workout as like, all right, I'm just going to throw on weight and do it. Like, how can I make this workout the best possible workout ever? Or how can I make this week's of, of nutrition uh, the best possible week ever. You know, it's, it's like sw switching away from that focus of the 11 days of the season only matter to that, like what I'm, what I'm trying to call like the all American mindset is that the little things matter more because when we do find that those 11 days again, we'll be able to perform uh, at our best ability instead of just really like always looking for like, Oh, I can't wait for the next game. Can't wait for the next game. Like, no, I find value right now because I will be able to perform. So, like, I train a lot of athletes into other competitions, whether it's bodybuilding, whether it's powerlifting, or if they just want to feel better. Like, so many former athletes struggle with so many injuries that, like, the competition with yourself could just be like, I want to be able to squat without feeling pain. You know what I mean? Shifting those, those things that, that, you, that mattered with the sport into something that's going to provide more value 
in your life in what you're currently doing. Does that, does that make your, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, with all those athletes having all those injuries, how do you think you can help training athletes that are still athletes and uh, kind of avoiding some of those pitfalls that I feel like so many college athletes, especially in the U S system have. It's the U S system is very, I, I don't know anything about how, how your training is. Um, but from my own experience, it, like I was saying before, like it's always just about who can lift the most. Like that's what we, who's the strongest in the gym. We didn't celebrate, man, that's a really good looking squat. Man, that's a really good looking deadlift. Man, that's a really good power clean or a snatch. Like it was who cares about who can lift the most. Even if it costs you the function of your, your, your lower lumbar or your pelvis function or like any muscle firing me mechanisms, like even if it costs you the, the, the dysfunction of those, did you stand up with the weight? So being like, I had to kind of check my ego at the door, right? And, and be like, okay, even though I can squat over 500 pounds, like I cannot transition this in a way that would help my, my sport, you know, where function, function and pain-free movement is how we get the most out of our body, especially when it comes to our sport. So really taking a step back and not chasing like, oh, I want to feel exhausted. I want to feel like I'm crawling out of the gym. Oh, I, I, like all these, like it, the work has to suck to feel like I have to get, to feel like I got a good workout in, which so many athletes kind of deal with because like there's a hundred people in one room that you have an hour to get done in a workout. So it's like, no, like it's not all about doing the crazy complexes to really feel like you're you're doing something. It's really focusing on like on the mobility side, on the flexibility side, how stable and under control you can be with your body. Because if we can build that foundation, that's really what a lot of the stuff I do with my former athlete clients. I basically rebuild their 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 uh, strength and stability so much so that when we do get to like a power or speed phase. Uh, they're not only more effective in those workouts, but they're safer and they're still moving pain-free. It's all, a, it has to kind of, you have to be willing to kind of check your ego and say, maybe I don't know everything I, uh, every, maybe I don't know everything there is about my fitness. And maybe I should like focus on, instead of trying to deadlift 500 pounds, making deadlifting 135 pounds, the most perfect kind of movement I, I could possibly make. You know, it's, it's, it's shifting that focus, but still, having the ulterior drive like i'm still working to a, a end result like this may not translate to on-field performance but this can translate into overall quality of life improvements uh overall physique improvements uh lots of ulterior goals that you can that no one person can really or not one person can say like this is the ultimate thing everyone should strive for but really understand like we are we are creatures that need to understand how to move. We're not, all, not a lot of us are taught how to move. We just kind of do it. So rebuilding the, the foundation of functionality uh, is super, super important that I try to help other athletes uh, really realize. And then once that's built, then we can transition to the crazy stuff that we're used to, not only increasing performance, but overall function. And like, like you don't have to feel like crap anymore. Right. <laughs> Okay, I got a big one here. How do you sell to your clients? Because it can be expensive to buy personal training or to afford sessions at elite speed and that kind of top level facilities, like what you're doing. How can you explain to them that this workout, you might not even be sweating, you might not even be tired afterwards, or you might not even feel these certain things, but it's totally worth your buck versus taking them through a power hour or just an exhaustion fest where they leave and go, wow, that guy's the best trainer ever. I'm done. But you didn't do anything for him. That's a great, that? yeah, that's a great question. I, I love that because that's so many people, especially so many athletes. It's like, I'm not sweating during this workout. Like why, what, what is this? <clears throat> it all comes down to education. And really, if you want to boil down what, what do I do, it's, it's, um, I kind of show you how you're not, show you what you're doing, bringing awareness to how you're doing things and how it's not serving you, educating you on why those things aren't serving you and how to, how we're going to change that, switching to a workout like, oh, that you may not feel right now, uh, but why 
uh, we are working on that way. And then we apply that for a consistent amount of time to get the end, the desired result. You know what I mean? So really that that's every conversation I have. Awareness, education, application, desires. Like, what are you doing? Here's how we're going to do the new thing. We're going to keep doing it over and over. And this is how we're going to get to where you go. And that's like going to constantly recondition someone's mind away from uh, like, I need to sweat. I need to, I need to go through this because the different training modalities, like our bodies are a magnificent adaptive be, uh, beings. And the idea of having to like burn the most calories or, or do that crazy hit workout is just put onto us by a, a coach. We don't understand what we're trying to do. We know, we, we think we, we want to feel exhausted and sweat because all the, the magazines and all the, the supermodels and all the, the crazy workouts that we see on Instagram, but simple and effective uh, is something that I strive on. Uh, or uh, yeah, simple and effective is something I try to instill and make sure everyone understands that like this workout where we're doing squats, bench press, uh, bent over row and pull-ups, like, yeah, maybe like those are all very big compound movements and the, the focus is building strength and muscle mass. You're not going to feel exhausted because the signal we want to send is to start like adapting the body to see the muscle that people like you usually want to see like oh i want to get toned or i want to i want to look like an athlete again it's like you have to build that muscle and understanding the different energy pathways that the body uses you uh if you want that that high intensity go 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 workout you're not sending the signal to build muscle you know it's about understanding what we want to see how do we manipulate the workouts and nutrition we're doing to see that and how do we stick to that? But it's all, it has to come down to always educating, always answering questions, because it is definitely, it's very hard to switch up something that you used to believe for so long. You know, like I thought like you had to walk out, you, you had to feel sore, like really sore to know that you had a good workout. And the second I let go of that, uh, I, I've been able to make more gain. I, I feel more athletic now that I'm not in a sport than I've ever felt in my entire life. That's that's the shift of being able to admit like I don't know as much as I don't know or I don't know what I don't know and then like looking for other answers. So when I sell people on that, it's like you kind of have to trust me and do the thing. And then once you see results within a month, you're like, oh, OK, so I've kind of been doing things wrong this whole time. It's like, yeah, that's why you listen to me. <laughs> uh, how do you balance the uh, you're helping people physically, but also helping them psychologically? especially with COVID and all this stuff we're going through, but like a lot of people, it's kind of switching their whole mindset. How do you, how do you balance that and also take that much on your plate and then not be pouring out of an empty glass? That is honestly, most of my job is talking people off a ledge of not seeing the results they want, not understanding why it's taking longer than they think. In reality, most people, the amount of damage they cause to their body, they've been doing that for eight plus years. So when they, when they, when they go on a, a, a journey, a new fitness journey says, I'm going to lose a hundred pounds. Uh, and they realize that it's not just like a two week ordeal. Like it took, you were there, it took you eight years to get there. It could, it could take you another eight years to get back. That's not in every case by any means. Um, <clears throat> so really it's, it, it comes down to always reminding people of like, why they want to do it and it's psychological it's more i think it's more psychological than it is physical because i can tell someone how to work out all they want i can tell someone how to to eat all they want but if they're not willing to apply and practice those things and if they don't believe in themselves with all the stress we're kind of going through with covid being stuck at home all those like it's more like talking to people like you are in a situation that you don't you don't like seeing you do, you're not you're not like seeing what you're you're not you don't like what you're seeing in the mirror you don't like what you're seeing in the gym and there's a reason for that and really getting in this this psychological battle of like is it even worth it like i don't have the, the guidance anymore uh that's what i usually deal with you know and and how i kind of manage and balance all that is i i have had to set boundaries like in the morning that's like i don't take calls before eight o'clock a.m. Um, because from six to eight, I am refilling my own cup, my, my reading, my meditation, uh, what, what I need to do for that day, who, who I need to help. 
Uh, I, I, I'm constantly resetting, constantly like pre-framing my mind, like who who needs the who who needs the most of my time? Who needs uh, the the reassurance, the reminder that they need to keep going? Um, because it, life is overwhelming, and health goals, physical goals, can get put on the back burner so so easily because of the constant fast-paced go 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 lifestyle we have. Uh, so I, I always have to. All right, Jonas. The next question I wanted to get you on is starting your own business. So where you got the. Uh... It's a hard fitness is a competitive industry. So where, where'd you get the idea to start your own business and some of the ideas that have gone into this business that have kind of differentiated it. So I only got the idea last year because after I was working at Elite Speed Sports Performance and Centennial, uh, but I wasn't performing very well at that job because I wasn't very prepared. So I quit that job after six months. Got, took a month to get four certifications and started training at 24 Hour Fitness, where I was actually able to sell people and actually uh, get, uh, have some success. Uh, I did that from November up until COVID happened. And uh, when I started seeing actual success in personal training, I had that robbed from me because I got furloughed. So I took basically all of March off, like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing uh, until I just started like seeing a couple, uh, having a couple ideas like, I still have to make money. I, I, I need to pay for a wedding that I have seven months from now. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure it out. I'm just going to go talk to a couple of my old clients for 24 hour fitness and I'm going to start training them. And oh man. Let's put it in the universe. All right. In the universe. So you started talking to a couple of clients you had from 24 hour fitness. Yeah, a couple extra bucks, and, um, and I had no inclination of like, oh, this is gonna grow into much bigger. Oh, you're just red. So you started contacting some of your uh, clients from Twenty Four Hour Fitness. So I contacted clients from Twenty Four Hour Fitness just to make a couple extra bucks, only like charging like two hundred bucks a month, um, with not with no idea of like trying to build a business. I was just trying to pay for. Um, my uh, wedding. But as I kept going, I kept following other coaches that were coaching online and other business coaches. I was like, holy crap, like I could be actually making a lot more money than I'm actually doing right now. Um, so I, I was like meeting people at parks. I was meeting people at their houses. I was training some people online. Uh, I was kind of all over the place. Um, so as I, I kept doing this, I was like, holy crap, like, you know what? Maybe I can make this my actual job. And I always only ever thought about that because my wife, uh, her family is nothing but entrepreneurs. Her parents own a wedding event center. Her aunt owns a restaurant. And Hannah, my wife, has always wanted to own her own business. So that kind of sparked the, the idea for me. And then after um, I was doing that training, uh, meeting people for a little while, I just said, screw it. Let's build an LLC, which is just Jonah Mitchell Fitness. And uh, I started just figuring it out like before I only just now started talk, talking to former athletes from essentially April to December of last year I was talking to everybody like hey this is my fitness stuff like you should pay attention to it you know but I wasn't really able to build uh, a following or a business around that but then as I looked in the mirror as I got coaching from other people I started to understand that like I'm my best version of like my the best person I can help it's like people like me former athletes like me who went through similar struggles so I can speak to the things that they, they experience the most um, and that's and that I can I can have a much larger impact for those specific group of people and now as Jonah Mitchell Fitness is growing like I'm uh, a little over 40 40 clients now um, I'm looking at ways to like Kind of, like, I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about a community uh, of people, of, like, reinventing their athletic selves through this process, you know? So uh, as we go forward, uh, Jonah Mitchell Fitness will change into something else. What it will, I don't know. 
but it's going to, I'm trying to build things up so that people understand, like they're not buying me, they're buying my process because I, I, I am them. You know what I mean? It's, it's something that I had to learn and I've, I'm helping other people learn as I continue to go forward. Um, so that, that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. So what, what are some of the things you've learned from the industry that you've taken away from your year and a half in it? Oh, and the downs. One of the downs is the amount of ease that is marketed to people. Like, oh, it's this one thing that you're not doing in your workouts. Oh, it's this one diet that you're not doing, then you're not seeing your results. It's this one supplement that you haven't added to your, to your uh, lifestyle that you're not shedding results or seeing results. It's the quick fixes. They drive me up a friggin' wall. But as I continue to talk to people, I am starting to see like there are definitely people out there that know it's not a quick fix. Like it, this is definitely a lifestyle. Uh, but the biggest thing, the biggest downfall is the amount of people that think it's just about the exercise. And I was one of these people. I only cared about lifting six days a week where I was eating McDonald's, Sonic and Pizza Hut for breakfast, lunch and dinner um, and not really seeing what I wanted to see, you know helping people understand that it's it's more as cliche as it sounds it is a lifestyle but a lifestyle that's going to yield not only the shallow results that we're looking for but the overall health and quality of life improvements the more we start to understand like this is not just the workout this is not just the diet and this is not just the uh the supplements it's about the mindset you have with yourself and the relationship you have with yourself and the, the amount of work and desire you're willing to put into it to get to where you want to go, to admit that you, you're not where you want to be because of the past actions, but really uh, unlock your full potential by uh, having that kind of introspection and having someone to help kind of pull it out of you. Because a lot of us don't really address the issues that go on in our heads. You know, we, we ignore them a lot easier than it is. It's a lot easier to ignore them than it is to deal with them. So, uh, biggest thing I love about the fitness industry is that the more people I start to talk to and understand they're starting to see through the BS of the fit teas, like the fat burning teas or the, the fat burning pills or, or the, the stupid, crazy restrictive diets. They're starting to understand like, okay, there's a, there's a piece, a few pieces that I'm missing. And, and I try, I'm hoping that I'm helping people kind of connect those dots saying that it's not supposed to be crazy, difficult and, uh, like something that if you were to stop doing, uh, you lose all your results. It's supposed to be something that's supposed to amplify uh, your life and everything around you. Hmm. How do you keep your confidence in selling yourself as a trainer and putting yourself out there? There are so many trainers. There's so much free content on exercise out there. So how do you put your, your content out there and have confidence with it? It definitely took practice. <laughs> Because when I started this, um, I, I had the same thoughts. There's so many trainers, like, why the hell should I even do this? Um, like, why would anyone believe in me? And I had to, like, kind of push through the awkwardness of posting on social media on a consistent basis. And, yeah, like, I am, I am really a glorified version of Google. Like, everyone, I'm not teaching anything, any, I'm not teaching anyone anything new. But I am teaching them the ways that I've done it, and I help kind of help coach them into ways that uh, make it their own way. You know what I mean? So Jonah's way is awesome, but that won't necessarily work for Kai, and that's kind of what I do. Uh, so when I found that confidence, it was like, I mean, you know the, the numbers in the U.S. It's like 66% are over, obese or overweight. So even if, those are, even if there is an abundance of coaches on the Internet, like there's still an epic obesity and uh, obesity problem in the United States. So I honestly, I think there needs to be more. So it definitely, it, it took a long time to shift away from this like scarcity mindset. Like I don't need to be here when there's already so many other coaches, but there, it, it, and then it took me to like actual practice of just constantly putting myself out there over and over again, connecting with the right people to help kind of pull uh, me out of my shell to understand like, uh, to switch from that scarcity to that abundant mindset, like no one's like me. I can connect with a certain group of people and help them achieve their results. So it was a lot of trial and error to answer the question one. Uh, 
and a lot of consistency when I, even when I really, really, really didn't want to do it. <laughs> I just kind of like said, uh, no, like you need to kind of make a living. So you need to keep helping and impacting people. And through that, I've been able to build up that snowball effect that everything I was doing a year ago is now coming to fruition where I may have, um, uh, too many clients at, at some point. So, uh, it's definitely figuring out what you're good at and focusing on that, not trying to focus on everything else. You know, you may be good at coaching quarterbacks. Cool. Focus on quarterbacks. Don't focus on trying to uh, get safeties into your program as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was doing everybody. I was, I was trying to talk to everybody. I was like, no, nope, former athletes. And then the snowball started to happen. So it was a lot of trial and error and more focus. You used to see yourself as Jonah Mitchell, the football player. What do you see yourself as now? You know, I honestly am trying to see myself – as a visionary because even though my conduit of health and fitness and like helping people get in the best shape of their life i'm really trying to change people's lives with this and make them see through my own story through my own experiences of mental health mental struggles that people just don't don't talk about all that much i want to help them see that health and fitness really make those mental struggles not go away but you get more prepared and in tune and aligned with those things and you become better equipped um once you know yourself a little bit more health and fitness helps you kind of go through this this kind of meta metamorphosis uh, of growth not just the muscle gains but the mental gains as well so i want to really help people understand that like even though the health and fitness is my life um, I don't want it to be their lives i want it to amplify their lives the relationships they have the confidence in themselves um, and just the overall feeling like this, this life we have is worth living, especially coming from someone like me who, who's definitely thought that the world would be better off without them. So I want to kind of take health and fitness and transcend it to uh, help other people understand like we are not put on this earth to, to deprive ourselves of enjoying it to the fullest. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So what, what's next for you and for your fitness and for your coaching? What, what's your goals? What are your future plans? What are you, what you, what are you always working on? Well, right now, the, the big goal is to build that, that former athlete community um, and really build that, that team culture that I was talking about earlier again, of, of build that culture of a bunch of people who succeed and win, who are competitive with each other, not in a jealous way, but in a way of like, dude, you did that thing. I did this thing, this thing over here. And it's not like, a, and it's just like constant, like building a culture of winning. That's I've, I've been a part of winning cultures. Now I want to create my own. So that's the big thing I got going on right now. Like I said earlier, Jonah Mitchell fitness, like I'm not trying to sell myself anymore. I'm trying to sell the process, the, 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 the process of being a former athlete going from uh, feeling like, like the world's ending without your sport to feeling like you have full control over your health and what you want to see in the mirror. Um, so really I'm just trying to build an army of badasses because if I can build and help as many people as I possibly can, uh, then they can go out and help the people they care about. And then I've done my part in trying to help um, uh, people just take, take back their, their life one person at a time. And you're safer in the zombie apocalypse. Yes, yeah, uh, so if it was not you'd be athletic. Yeah, exactly. Are you, are you, so it was only two years, a year and a half that you were, had your football triad. Are you content with retirement? Are you content with saying, uh, not going to open that door, not going to look in, not going to peer around the corner for anything down that path? Uh, professionally, no, I will not go back down that path, but recreationally, Hell yes. <laughs> I am, I am in a flag football league right now. And like I said, I feel more athletic than I've ever felt in my entire actual career. So I still kind of chase that same feeling of being on a football team on a college team. Um, definitely finding like my ways to get that fixed. Um, but I still have able, been able to shift my focus away from purely performance to to functionality and, and strength and stability. And that has led to better athletic performance in my flag football and it really any other sporting thing I kind of do. Like I had a, a, a little like local, um, uh, what was it called? Like 
uh, gladi camp gladiator thing. It's just like a bunch of, it's like a mini CrossFit games, but for uh, regular people, not CrossFit athletes. Um, and like, just like, I wasn't able to do it because I was out of town, but looking at the events, it's like, I could do all of this stuff and I'd be totally fine. You know what I mean? So that, that kind of confidence uh, is, is what, I, what, what I wanted to have in college. So now I've built that up. Now I still try to uh, fix, get my fix in different ways. In different competitive ways. Yes. What is your, uh, from America and not being involved, what is your reaction to hearing that there's football played in all these different countries all over the world? Because you're the first one on the podcast who's not someone who's in one of these random countries playing American football. You know, I only ever heard about it because of you and Travis. <laughs> <laughs> so when I would see like, like the Australian stuff, I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Like Australia plays football, but that's really really uh that's really it but then as i see you and your career bouncing from country to country i'm like holy holy crap like really everybody plays american football but it's just not talked about so uh i i think it's honestly really cool where i was always annoyed about the super bowl like oh yeah we're the world champions but we're the only people who compete in the nfl so you can't really be the world champions but now that i know like it's kind of played everywhere else just in different uh, different multitudes and different uh, equipment and facilities. Uh, it's super cool to see that. And maybe one day I might be like uh, hit my thirties and be like, okay, I'll go to Europe and try and play football. Um. <laughs> that was my end. That was just my end on seeing if we were ever going to get the, uh, the out of retirement call to some <laughs> in the world. Quite possibly. Maybe. Yeah, what, what, It'll be the first one I call. Yeah. I invite you somewhere. Bring your wife, go see a country, play a little football. Yeah, maybe we'll 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 consider it. How about that? Yeah, consider it down. There. <laughs> Anyways, uh, super impressed with all the stuff you're doing, John. I just want to have you on so you could talk about it. Uh, if anyone follows this podcast, wants to hop in, that what's the the athlete community and your Facebook and Instagram? What are they all called? Throw that all. So follow me on Instagram at Jonah Mitchell underscore fitness. Follow me or add me up to the friend on Facebook, just at Jonah Mitchell. You'll uh, you'll know which one's me. It's a black and white picture. Of me and then the all capital letters former athlete community is the Facebook group that I'm trying to build up of, of a group uh, of a group of people uh, to be the badasses that they know they are with or without their sport um, and that's really like if you want to get a hold of me that's that's where you where you'll find me perfect tons of tips in there everyone go get involved with that thanks for having me on Jen appreciate you thank thank you Ty appreciate you. <laughs>